<laughs> How are you, dear? I'm fine, thank you, darling. Yeah? Yeah. How are you? Not bad. Quite warm, but uh, otherwise, okay. Are you, are, you, are you up in the rafters? I am. It must be generally about, I don't know, five or eight degrees warmer up here than it is downstairs. Which um, isn't that pleasant. It's okay when you've got the fan on, but it would sound like I was revving up a Messerschmitt if I had the fan on while we were doing this, so I've had to knock that on the head. And how's life? Life's all right, although I had a minor trauma today. Uh, I sneezed, uh, and I sneezed so hard I chipped a tooth. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to have to book myself into the dentist next week. Oh. <coughs> You sneezed onto what? I don't know. I just, I don't know what happened. I sneezed really hard and it, it, it was kind of a clicky kind of pinging feeling stroke noise. Uh, and I had a little bit of tooth uh, floating free. Yeah. That's not just very nice, I think, is I'm, it? I think I'm just falling apart from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? How's your war wound? <laughs> Uh, fine, yeah. No, it was only a graze. It looked it, worse than it was. It looked quite spectacular. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see what we're talking about, no. go to uh, Elemondo Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did you do it? Uh, it was just a bit of worktop that I'd lent against a wall. Um, I just then knocked it over, but it fell at an exact arc that the sharp edge of the cut side of it just <clears throat> raked my leg as it went down. <clears throat> and sort of skinned my foreleg well, yeah my shin really yeah your foreleg my foreleg <laughs> <laughs> sorry do I sound a bit hoarse you sound like a <laughs> uh, so yeah we didn't convene last week did we <clears throat> we didn't uh, it was uh, it was Steph's birthday so uh, Steph and I were out and about kind of towards the latter half of last week and I think you were kind of pretty busy the front half of the week so we've had a week off and did you have a nice birthday celebration? Did we had a really nice time? Was it a surprise? It wasn't. Okay. Uh, it's hard to surprise um, Steph because I have to find out when she's free in between <laughs> all things. Uh, so we had a we had a night out in London and stayed at a posh hotel in Leicester Square and did some touristy things and had cocktails uh, and a nice dinner uh, and then a lovely breakfast and a wander around London before it got too busy on the Saturday. So well, that's the best time to be in central London, isn't it? Before yeah, it was great. 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Perfect. It was fab. So, um, it being Steph's birthday, I dragged her to a comic shop so I could have a browse. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as promised, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about The Watchmen, I went and bought myself Zenith. Right. Phase, phase one. I haven't opened it yet. And it's signed by uh, Steve Yowell as well. Right. Uh, so that was nice. I went to Gosh Comics. Have you been to Gosh Comics in Soho? No, I haven't. It was, um, you know, we've both talked about the fact that we like comics, but neither of us are uh, aficionados. So it was overwhelming. Um, and also gutting, because while I was in there, they were clearing this table that had loads of comics on it. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. I bought my comics and I left. Uh, and then later on, I saw on, uh, on Twitter that... Um, Brian Bolland and Steve McMahon, the 2000 AD artists, had uh, done a signing there an hour after I'd been in there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely gutted. Two of my favourite 2000 AD artists. Yeah, old school ones. Mm. 
Yes, but I'll go back. It was uh, it was good. Yeah, it's one of the good ones, isn't it? And yes. There's another one in Nottingham called uh, Page Forty Five. Is it something yeah. like that? That's why I bought comics from before. Um, and I think I don't know if you can do that with Gosh, but you can um, you can like sign up to a monthly um, <clears throat> deal, and they'll send you out their comic of the month. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. That they recommend. And then also, if you email them with comics you've read, they'll send back a like a list, a shopping bag list. That's good, comics. like a, a real human <clears throat> Apple genius type thing. Exactly. Um, yeah, what what Apple Music tries to do, yeah, um, but fails miserably. Actually, actually, yeah, Apple Music when I used the trial was pretty good, but it's just the whole of the rest of it that was just absolutely rubbish. My uh, it's ruined my music collection. Has it? I still yeah. use it. I haven't really noticed any difference. Right. But I predominantly just use the Apple Music service part of it now. But it's great. Listen to lots of new stuff. The, the recommendation bit of it is is far superior to um, Spotify. Yeah. Um, but Spotify, they're catching up. They well, they've got they've got like a a weekly playlist now, which yeah. comes up with some interesting things. But yeah, it, do, it doesn't beat Apple. But I just I just don't want them to mess my music around. So yes, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so what have I what have I been up to? What have yeah, you been up to? Uh, well, no, that was that was well, me. Apart, apart from injuring myself. I've been um, I've been quieting down a little bit. I haven't. I've finished this kind of. I don't know. Whatever it's been. As long as we've been doing this podcast, I think it's been it manic. Seems to have been done all um, this year already. Yeah. Um, I'm now. Uh, I've got clients on holiday. I've got clients that have finished product projects. Um, a couple of big websites that are slowly finishing. Um, still got content to come in. <laughs> been doing it for six months. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've been yeah you know, I've been dealing with annoying printed issues and deliveries this week, which are the the worst thing, aren't they? Of getting back into being an agency style. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have to, I, you know. I, I was saying I don't do much print, and the one print job I've done has gone belly up. <laughs> oh, yeah, which is annoying. But um, yeah, that's not good. It's being rectified, uh, and uh, yeah, something moved on in position. Oh. On plates. Oh, okay. So it was a, an actual technical print issue. Yes. Yeah. Not happy, but there we go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of you know that 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 dread of something turning up, and I had it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, and what else have I been doing? I've been building a, a utility room. So yeah, project kitchen that bored the world with. Um, is, is, no, is we're not. On. We're not bored, John. We're enthralled. <laughs> yeah, so I've installed a sink yesterday. Um, yeah, so for the for the washing of dogs. For the washing of dogs. Yeah. Um, and what else have I been doing? I've been playing with some 3D today because um, I'm now onto the website bit of the um, the branding that I've been doing that sort of involves three dimensional sound waves. Okay. Uh, so I've been rendering. Little 3D mountain ranges. Yeah, look nice that. <laughs> yeah, I just did a little silly 360. I was just playing with the animation in. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's not brilliant, but it's um, it's a sweet little thing. Yeah, what else have been doing? Um, that's it. So yeah, I'm just quite just slowly starting to go into quieter mode. Well, it's good that it's not so hectic for you now. Yeah, it's been horrific. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm really pleased. Um, and uh, and it's funny because I, I, I've um, I guess as designers. Uh, especially, you know, working directly with um, 
conversation with clients who are running businesses and they start projects and they finish pro- you know they stop them and pause them and so you see all the sort of the rough end of, of business yeah. um uh, it's you know i'd say probably three quarters of the businesses i work with end in i wouldn't say failure but they they don't work out you know they 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 change or they rebrand or yeah. they stop that particular um, project and start something else else up. And, um, yeah, I've got, you know, I've had quite a few go quiet over the last few months and I think they're all doing that. <laughs> yeah. Re sort of realigning themselves as it were. But, um, you can't, yeah. you can't get precious about all the work that you put into it. You know, it's, um, uh, it's being paid for, I guess, so they can do what, what they like with it. I guess so. And that's kind of the the stuff you you do and try not to worry about. And then uh, you know all the personal projects we've talked about; those are the ones that we pour the passion into and care a lot about. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that I don't care about my yeah, clients, I'm, but I'm I, not I, de- I definitely I know, but I definitely work to their expectations, as it were, rather than mine. Otherwise, I'd be uh, I'd have a nervous breakdown every time I work with someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to next phase, which is uh, you know the printing side of things. So yeah, that's the new yeah, business. Yeah, really excited about that. Um, what have you been doing? Well, I've got a few more bits and pieces in for for my brand. So this Northern Boy, uh, which kind of hasn't really existed apart from the odd um, invoice as a kind of physical thing. So. We talked last time about the fact that I designed a logo and stuff, um, and I've kind of got a few bits and pieces in. So I got a really nice rubber stamp made with uh, bright orange ink, and I got some stickers and some business cards. I got some badges made. All right. Um, so all little bits and pieces to go out with my commissions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all kind of coming together. And where did you get your stickers made? I got Moo to do the stuff because oh, right, okay. I thought I'd just sort of see what they were like and I got them to do my business cards as well I'm not going to need um, hundreds of business cards so I just thought I'd uh, I'd use Moo so I got some of those tasty little triplex ones yeah it's quite nice has it come out alright? yeah the print quality is great I think I should have left a little bit more of a space around the uh, the design but um, Tri- but trim, yeah. on, trim on business cards is always iffy yeah, I was. I just uh, trusted Moo's no. template too uh, too closely. I've seen. But, I mean, it, it hasn't cut anything off. It just looks a bit tight. Yeah, no, I've seen that stuff before, and it was yeah. wobbly. But the stickers are great, um, and the, the print quality on the the business cards is really nice, and they feel great. Uh, yeah. But the badges, I love the badges. Little bright orange badges with um, skulls on. Well, like real, like yeah, know. little pin badges. Well, they make those. No, not they weren't from Moo. Oh. <coughs> um, okay. I just found somewhere online to do them. Oh. We made a load of badges once. We bought a badge machine. I remember you saying. That was, I think it was just before I started working with you. Right. You did them for a Christmas card, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. That was really cool, that was. I'll have to dig that out. That yeah, how long design. did you spend doing those? Quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hadn't appreciated that the 12 days of Christmas and making 12 badges for over 100 different clients um, would have t- took us quite a long time. Yeah. We should have bought them in. Yeah. <laughs> but we ended up with a badge machine. I wonder what happened to that. Yeah. Someone uh, must be knocking out loads of badges somewhere. <laughs> I do love a badge. 
Um, yeah, I never wear badges, but I do like them. No, no, I don't wear them either, but I, I exactly the same. I like them. Um, I put them on Kitty now. <laughs> uh, I'll send you a little school badge. Please do. <laughs> I, will, I will put it on there and take a photo oh, of it. Fantastic. Um, yeah, because I was thinking about orange, you know, your orange colour thing. Yes. Because I remember in medieval doing when I was doing medieval English degree kind of mm-hmm. thing like the the word orange didn't exist until 1500 do you know I read about this today right because uh, someone sent me a link uh, to the etymology that's the right word isn't it yeah um, uh, and yes so I discovered that um, it didn't exist and it's is it believed to have come from the the French or the Italian Aaron, Aaron no, no, Naranja, Naranja, uh, Aaron, Aaron Gina. Yeah. I, yes. So, uh, but yeah, um, but the the interesting thing is like the perception of people because they saw that color as red. I mean, it was like a uh, they called it. An, I don't know what it was, like a burnt red or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but it was it was in the red spectrum. But you would never put orange in a red spectrum now, would you? No, it yeah. has it occupies its own space. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? That that you know, a fruit comes along <laughs> and, yeah. and, and describes an entirely new colour. Yeah, it is strange. I guess, uh, I assume that orange didn't really exist as a, a ready available pigment. Mm. Uh, I don't know, you'd have to look into that, wouldn't you? I mean, I yeah. guess... Buddhist, I probably should, shouldn't I? The Buddhists had it. You should, yeah, yeah, you should have a whole thing on your new website with uh, yeah. uh, the, uh, the colour orange. Yeah, I did just do a blog post about the colour orange. Oh, right. But, uh, but there was nothing, you know, I didn't uh, delve into the, the meanings or anything. I just put loads of nice orange pictures on. Ah. Well, come quot me. <laughs> did you have that written down? No. Oh, so I've always got come quot stored somewhere. Must <laughs> be terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> it can be, but I wear loose pantaloons. <laughs> well, first bit of news... As we were talking about colour just a second ago, uh, you put a link on um, our little um, base camp uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about Marina Morale, or Marina Amaral, who colourises old photographs. Yeah, I was going to put her back on today, so I'm glad you brought her up. Well, I'm, I'm stealing it because I've seen something else as well that kind of links in with it. Uh, I know I've seen a lot of this uh, kind of colourised historical photographs before. Um, she's exceptionally good at it, isn't she? Yeah, fabulous. Uh, really beautiful sort of subtleties. It is strange how whenever you see these colourised photographs, historical photographs, that there's something about them that's recognisably coloured. I don't know if it's... Obviously, there's a lot, an awful lot of guesswork that goes into... Um, recreating the colour, but there's there's a there's a look about them, isn't there? Like an old kind of technicolor film or something. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's the noise in there. Whether colour ever had that level of noise in it? Yeah, maybe. That black and white does it. We instantly detect. Um, but you're, you're certainly right. It it, um, it's, it doesn't look natural, does it? Yeah, the more mo- actually, you might be right about the noise because the more modern the photograph that's been colorized, the more natural it seems to look. There's the one of on her portfolio of um, Lee Harvey Oswald, and right. that's that's one of the most sort of natural looking photographs on there. Yeah, I, think. I haven't seen that one before. Yeah, no, really, that looks like you know it could be taken with a with a smartphone, couldn't it? It's yeah. got that slightly bleached out look. Yeah. Um, whereas I think with like the the more 
um, well, they're, they're, although the ones on the beaches is pretty amazing. <laughs> it is, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of work going into that one. This is great radio, isn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, go ahead over to her because uh, she is one talented lady. Yeah, so that's marinaamaral.com. And you can't, um, you can't do that with a, uh, with a filter. You can't, but you can do it with an AI, John. Can you? You can. Uh, so I saw this. This is seamless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Algorithmia. I don't know who Algorithmia are. Yeah, I got that from sitting on kumquats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is, um, it's an algorithm which uses cloud-hosted deep learning models, <clears throat> whatever they are, yeah. uh, to colorize black and white photographs. Uh, and it's got some. Ex- you can upload your own black and white photos. Oh, can you? Ooh, yeah, I haven't. Good. I haven't tried that yet. Right. Um, or you can click on some example. Images. I've got some of my arty shots in that private uh, folder. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're they're terrible, but it's it's an interesting kind of first step because I don't I don't know how they generate the the colours. Kind of where the is it comparing them to other images on the the internet that you know it kind of looks for similar images in the same way that you know you can do a reverse google image search yeah and then uses that as a as a reference for the image um but it's really interesting so we're you know we've talked about kind of machine learning a couple of times on the podcast um and it there's just it seems that kind of weekly there's there's another little bit of you know, progress in artificial intelligence or machine learning. Um, and even, you know, sort of now delving into what you kind of think more of a kind of human or creative fields, you know, rather than just kind of simply crunching numbers. <coughs> yeah. It's, it's nowhere near as good as a person. No, because it can't make a decision between... I've just done it to a Frank photo, actually, because I had him up there. Yeah. him at some stables um but it's just made it sepia because it has no indication of what you know what's the difference between a bundle of hay uh, a man in a british uniform and a horse <laughs> but it has but it has recognized the grass as green so it's given that a slight green tinge um and uh oh, i'll send it to you shall i yeah download comparison so i wonder if that if that is how it does it you know maybe it's it's kind of done a reverse image search on it recognised it as an old picture and sepiaed it. Or maybe something about the shape of the the elements in the photograph, or maybe it's not that complicated at all. Well, that's really quite cool, though, as a, you know, as a really sort of quick and dirty colourisation, isn't it? Yeah. That's surprisingly good. Which one's Frank? Far right. Oh, yeah. Corporal and sharpshooting badge. Oh, nice. See the little crossed arms on his, right at the bottom of his cuff. You just see a little cross. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a corporal by the time he went to the front. By the way, because uh, he'd been a naughty boy. Had he really? Yes, with some <laughs> la- ladies of the night. Oh my word! Terrible. Mm. I look forward to hearing more about that in a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, so Elon Musk has, has announced part two of his grand plan. So the first part of his grand plan was to build uh, initially a, an expensive electric car, high performance car, which he would then use to fund a less expensive electric car, which he would then use to fund an even less expensive expensive car. So that's kind of done. He's announced his Model uh, 3, which is the affordable one. 
uh, and he's now in the process of buying uh, his uh, his kind of other partner business, Solar City, which make panels and solar panels and uh, kind of battery systems and stuff to kind of get this scalable, stackable business. Um, but part two of his grand plan involves um, building uh, electric pickup trucks and electric um, haulage trucks, which will all be fitted with his autopilot software, this kind of AI that he uses um, to, for cars to drive themselves. Uh, he's talked recently about he wants it to be able to... He, at the moment, he thinks it's good enough for you to be in on the west coast of America and effectively call your car if it was on the east coast in New York and it would be able to drive itself to you. Um, but what he wants to do to push that even further, apart from rolling out this autopilot to trucks and pickups and things and buses as well, so to, to take his technology into kind of all aspects of transport, he wants to allow your car to work for you when you're not using it. So people only use their cars for 5 to 10% of the day. And because they can drive themselves anywhere, he wants you to be able to call up um, someone else's car if they're not using it, and it'll come and pick you up, and then you'll be able to use their car. So while you're paying for your car in installments or whatever, you can allow it to be rented out, kind of like a, a, an Uber type thing, like an Uber carpool, um, which, which just sounds very futuristic, really. It's kind of, it all makes you know incredible logical sense, but I don't know how it works if you, know, you have someone who likes to eat smelly food in your car. <laughs> you know, you get it back and it stinks of takeaway food or something. <clears throat> but it's a real, I think it's quite an innovative approach to transport. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing in the way of its success, and that's human nature. Um, and uh, I think Corvessia came across this. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, I mean... I, I, you know, yeah. I hope it happens, but I can't see it ever happening. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> you wouldn't have thought a few years ago that you could have self-driving cars by now. But we haven't got them. I, well, you know, I'm in denial about this. We've in America, got... in America, in some states, you can use his autopilot. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out well. Um, well, you know. No, I mean, I think in some parts of San Francisco. There are self-driving cars, but they're literally on a track, aren't they? Mm. Um, the whole thing is a concept, and much like Amazon's drone thing. I mean, I'm I'm ready to be, uh, I'm prepared to be made made wrong, but I can't see this happening in the next uh, even thirty years. So he thinks he thinks ten years, right? But I mean, it took it's taken nearly ten years to get people to accept mobile phones, uh, yeah. you know, or smartphones. As, as you know, they, they are now the overwhelming majority. But in 2006, it was very rare to see a very expensive computer being carried around by somebody. True. Um, so that's 10 years. For, uh, cars, I mean, people keep cars for... It's like televisions, isn't it? It's like Apple co- coming in and trying to um, 
you know, people saying, oh, Apple are going to make a TV and it's going to revolutionise TVs. Well, you know, I've only bought maybe three tellers in my entire life. Car, cars as well, you know. I'm not one of these people that lease a car and every three years I've got a new car. Most people yeah. buy them and then they keep them for 10 years, don't they? they so, do. so how, how, you know, when am I going to be buying a car again? Well, probably in four years, five years' time. Well, it's not going to be ready then. So then another 10 years after that, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, 15 years if that car is available. But I can't see the UK ever having the infrastructure to deal with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's – I think it's. Uh, I think he's weird. I think he's really strange person. <laughs> he is. He's like he's Tony incredible. Stark, isn't he? He is or, very much like Tony Stark. I think um, it's kind of incredible. But um, he's, slightly, yeah, he's, he, a he's a bit like the, um, the guy in um, – I can't remember his name, but in Watchmen. Uh, uh, Ozymandias. Yeah. yeah. He is Ozymandias, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Everything he turns turns to electric-powered, solar-powered stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see uh, see how that goes. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm perhaps more hopeful than you are. Yeah, well, you need to uh, get in touch with Alad because he's, he's, he's holding out for it. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I've completely monopolised the first half of uh, <laughs> the news this week. Go my, I've got little ones. Um, everyone likes Lego, right? Mm. Even people who pronounce it with a plural. Yeah. Um, but there is an exhibition at the NEC on the 27th to the 30th of October this year, Brick Live. Um, so if you're into models and you've got young kids, I think that could be a really good afternoon or day, day out. Yeah. Uh, an entire show... And it'll be a big consumer one at the NEC, devoted to Lego. The sort of the toy that got me into designing or making and building and you know improving things. It's just so, still, it's just bloody brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I know we mention Lego almost every week, but uh, why not? It's yeah. the most perfect toy ever made. Isn't it? If they want to sponsor us, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that looks good. Yeah, it looks good. It looks really kid friendly as well. So it yep. could be a really good day out if you've got um, if you've got little ones. Um, my other news. Uh, well, this is a bit. Of, this is following on from your um, your Elon Musk, which sounds like a, a body shop oil, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, a sexy massage oil. Uh, no, this is called the Blackbird. Um, and it Incredible. This on a site called the Mill. I'm not sure what they do. They're a special effects company. Right. Okay. So they built this amazing looking like hot rod it looks like so it's a black vehicle um with wheels on four corners um and it's got a camera rig on the top of it um but what it does is it uh it can adjust itself so it's got like uh, an adjustable axis and a, an adjustable chassis length and it can adopt itself to uh, adapt itself to the shape of any uh car so what it means is that they can use this rig um, drive around wherever they are and then they just superimpose CG cars on the top of it and I know it sounds really shonky but if you look at the reels that they've done it it's is incredible. absolutely amazing yeah. so it means that rather than having to ship cars out to you know I know where they film a lot of car ads I know they do in my uncle's where my uncle lives in Tenerife up in the mountains yeah film a lot of uh, um, Seat and VW stuff up there well rather than ship that thing out they've just you know you've got your rig and you can put all you know you could film five six seven different ads with different models um just using this one rig it's it's absolutely fantastic and i think that is the sort of the epitome of where technology is at the moment of you know old school 
mechanics and modern technology sort of perfectly blended together. Um, they're not trying to reinvent anything. They've just produced a, a lovely, amazing product. I mean, not, yeah. it's not a product as it is an invention, I can say. Yeah, it's incredible. Like you say, the, the show reels are just mesmerizing. I think it's quite interesting that one of the reasons they said they, they built it, <clears throat> one of the additional reasons they said they built it was because quite often it's reshoots that uh, kind of screw up schedules and add so much to the cost because the detail will get changed on the car. Right. And then they'll have to go back and reshoot the advert. Whereas on this, because it's virtual, you know, you just kind of reskin it. Yeah. Um, you know, using the same modeling techniques and everything. Um, and, it, you know, it cuts all those costs out. It's really a remarkable, uh, you know, whoever had the idea to do that, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's an it's- absolute cracker. That's brilliant. So if you if you want to buy one of those, or you want to uh, buy a um, an Elon Musk mobile, um, you could use your new Mastercard because yes. uh, we're, we're back to branding again. Uh, I think, if I remember off the top of my head, it's Pentagram. Is it have done this? Um, mm, yes, Beirut. Uh, is it? They, they, they've rebranded Mastercard, um, which is an iconic logo isn't it uh and we are seeing the continuation of this uh this design style really um it's very recognizable from co-op and other ones we've been discussing that rob will fill in for me (laughs) (laughs) but it's um uh yeah i think it works in places and other places it really doesn't work um but if you look at the old mastercard logo it's an absolute shocker wasn't it (laughs) The old one. Um, well, the old one, the, the one from 90, it's got like a little timeline on this link on Design Week. Um, and uh, between sort of 68 and 79, you know, the, the essence of the, the logo itself was exactly as the new one is, wasn't it? Two overlapping circles with kind of the the overlap, the sort of Venn diagrammy bit being orange. And it's only, you know, after that that they kind of had that layered lines interweaving well, they, bit they've, re- they've reduced the cost of the print haven't they <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know we've talked about opinions of logos and stuff before um i say where i think on online and on the card it looks beautiful um but i have to say on the billboards and uh, other advertising stuff it looks terrible you can't you can't recognize it at all it's really really lost um, oh it is isn't it i hadn't actually scrolled down and looked at that stuff before yeah it's not strong um, yeah. but on, on the black packaging bags and things like that, it looks fabulous. Yeah. Um, uh, I just I think the the typeface is weak. I think it it's too soft. Uh, You'd imagine it that'll date very quickly that yeah. typeface. But then they've always, if you look historically, all their stuff's dated, isn't it? It's yeah. Really, um, but they have gone back to the like you, you pointed out the 1979. Um, version of the typeface is very similar isn't it yeah um, <coughs> yeah except it's all lowercase now but yeah we are seeing this continuing trend of um of major brands going back in time and coming back with a, a what i can all only call is a flat version of the design um it's got no texture no three dimensions to it at all it's just very very uh yeah it's that it's that yearning for nostalgia again john in times yeah. of trouble we well, this is it. Back to simpler times. Yeah, no, it is. It's an obsession with it on, in times of trouble. Um, the, the human race has always done it. 
yeah. I was gonna I was thinking about it today when I was swimming is um Dracula is a similar well can be interpreted as a you know the fear of the East coming to haunt London or the British yeah. um, and uh, before the First World War there were lots of novels written that were sort of um, uh, sort of simulated German invasions um, War of the Worlds is another one of those kind oh, yeah, of course. fear of the unknown um, yeah. and I'm wondering if we're now going to see I mean we're not seeing it in flat logos <laughs> that doesn't really <laughs> say, make any sense but definitely dipping into the past gives you that, that sort of um, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, uh, a yes. blanket, a safety, yeah. uh, what do you call them? What do people call them? Yeah. A security blanket, isn't it? Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, I wonder what, what outpourings of um, of cultural output we will see with this <coughs> raised anxiety, or if they already exist. I, I didn't get beyond that because I was a... Uh, yeah, um, I, I think we should definitely explore that because it's kind of the flip side to nostalgia is, you know, anxiety creating things... In yeah. culture. Well, what, no. One last thing on that Mastercard thing is uh, Daniel Gray pointed it out um, last week on Twitter. How small, in comparison to the logo, the, the TM, the trademark, and the R for the registered trademark um, are on that logo, and how pointless they are. Oh, I can't even see it. Exactly. I didn't even see it. I thought it was something on my screen. Yeah. You know, oh, it's got a TM on it, isn't it? Yeah. So what, is, what is the point? That's rubbish. Yeah. I you mean, don't have to put them on either. Exactly. Absolutely. I point. think everyone knows that it's protected. Yeah. Yeah, no, anyway. he's right. <clears throat> yeah, I just thought Go I Go Daniel that. Gray. Exactly. Right. Um, uh, yeah, what was I going to say? Oh, there was a thing a couple of weeks ago, but it's pretty boring, um, about... But actually, that's what I enjoyed about it. It was a really boring... Uh, <laughs> I, I I am I am quite hard hitting on um, Design Week, but I do think that they just regurgitate utter, utter build sometimes. Um, and this, they tried to make a story out of um, uh, uh, new fonts on the Kindle. Yeah, and it's called "Will New Kindle Fonts Change Our Relationship with the E-Reader?" Uh, no, sure because because no. <laughs> the, the typography on it's rubbish. So, um, but it's um, it then it then speaks to uh, Jason Smith of Fontsmith and Eric Speakerman, uh, him of Font Shop or whatever, yep. Font Font, um, and ask them what they think. And th- But they just kind of say, well, it doesn't really work, you know, uh, because it's an e-book. Um, both of them say that. They both say that the, the fonts are nice, but it's, that doesn't actually change the way they're used on a Kindle, does it? I mean, Speakerman points out the fact that you've got 11, uh, is it four hyphens in the first paragraph or something? It's just badly sort of set type on a Kindle. Yeah, often you've got spaces between words. Have you got a Kindle? No, I haven't. But you, you, you do become uh, uh, used to it, but yeah, you get spaces in, word, in the middle of words where it hasn't... Um, yeah. It hasn't broken properly, but you, you just you just start skipping it. Um, uh, I don't read novels to have a good type experience. Do you uh, not? No. Call yourself a designer. I know it's terrible, isn't it? But um, no, I don't. And uh, so I just think this is um, you know, I think if people are reading, I think that's a good thing. So um, and I would you know they're far better than they were. Um, they're better than reading on a screen generally. Um, and it will be solved, I guess, in time. But uh, <coughs> yeah. a lot of a lot of the publishers are to blame for it because they're just using automated software to churn the books out. They're not. 
set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it's just a nothing story. So I don't even know why I picked it up. I just thought it was. I just thought it was funny because it just doesn't say anything about anything. It just says that Amazon's got a new typeface. Whoopie do. Well done. Yeah. Well done, Amazon. <laughs> Uh, uh, cynical cynical um i i've seen i've listened to a new podcast rob i know you don't like me talking about um other podcasts but there's one out uh called our freelance life um and i listened to one into off it and it was pretty good actually it was um it's uh, a guy from bournemouth who's a copywriter and he's interviewing creative people who, who yep. work at home uh who, who he's calling freelancers which i would kind of challenge but the um the essence of it is that he's picking people who are designers and writers, photographers, etc., etc. And he's had three episodes since May. Is that all? It's Come terrible. on, pull your finger out, man. Uh, no, it's called. It's not even output. That is it. <laughs> it's probably quality. It's actually quality. It's, <laughs> he's got really good sound and stuff like that. But we don't. We don't care about that. Um, no, uh, he's had three interviews, um, and I'm trying to think of it. Find out what his name is. Um, his name is Leif Kendall, uh, and uh, yeah, he's he's running a company called Kendall Copywriting Limited. So yeah, go and check it out. It's um, ourfreelancelife.com. Um, I'm sure it's on iTunes and stuff. He hasn't put that onto the website, so but um, you can listen to it through the website, which is how I did it. I will do that. Um, I've kind of been searching. A lot of design creative podcasts are American, uh, and I've got nothing against our American friends. Um, but a lot of it isn't kind of particularly relevant. So uh, so I look forward to having a listen to that. Yeah. Should we uh, should we talk about Frank? Yeah. I d- I, yeah. Do you want to you want to ask me a question? <laughs> I don't know what what I'm expected to. Uh, what What did you talk about when you were when you were in the war, Gwenda? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think you should just explain uh, who Frank Crawshaw is, John. Right. Well, start uh, at the beginning. <laughs> well, I've done this a few times, haven't I? Um, uh, but basically, I um, Frank Crawshaw was my great great uncle, and he was a uh, Brixton lad. Um, he um, was twenty one when he was killed on the eleventh of February, nineteen fifteen, which was the closing of the. Um, or sort of the end period of the BEF, the British Expeditionary Force, as um, as a proper professional army. Um, it had suffered, I don't think, something like 80% casualties in the six months, first six months of the war, of the First World War. Um, but he was a Brixton lad, and the, the story is, and I've told this before, but I know, so I'll skip over it, but he was a um, uh, brother of my um, great-grandmother, um, but he was never spoken about uh, in the family. Um, I'm, cer- I'm certain my mother never knew about him until a load of letters were found in a um, in the uh, the cliched loft in a tin, which we'd hoped was a um, a Queen Mary tin, uh, which she gave to the <laughs> troops at Christmas in 1914. But uh, I haven't found out. What, what tin it was in but anyway uh, he found all these letters uh, it turned out it was from uh, a brother that you know they weren't really aware of um, and so my um, my great uncle Car- um, 
my great uncle Jeff um, transcribed them and sent them to, I think he said, he either sent them to me or to my grandfather. Um, and then I subsequently lost <laughs> a bundle of photos that I had on a train. I left a bag on a train. So the project kind of faltered. And what I wanted to do was to go through the letters and find out information about it. Um, and that was about 15, 20 years ago. And I, you know, as, as ever, I hadn't done anything about it. And it was getting near to the 100-year um, anniversary. And I'd been over to Belgium a couple of times and we, my uncle had found his grave. And so we'd, I'd been over there twice and went over there. Um, and in fact, I proposed to my wife uh, over there. Oh, did you? Yes. Uh, so we went and saw him. And uh, and then we were staying in Bruges, which isn't very far away. And um, yeah, pop the question. Uh, so yeah, he's very tied to me. I, d- I don't know. I don't know why it is. Um, uh, and anyway, we started doing some research into him, and then it just became a, a massive obsession. Um, and I wrote some articles on his letters, um, but then I decided that I was going to do this ridiculous project, which was write one article a day live from um, August 1914 through to his death, write one every day. Um, and the rules were that I was only allowed to research the post on the day. Um, so ma- many... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so many posts were written, were posted at midnight or slightly after. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just had a baby in the June. So, um, I, yeah, so I had a three-month-old baby. So there's a brilliant photo. I will post this one of um, me writing with uh, a little papoose on the front <laughs> and uh, so every evening I did that and then I ended it on the last day I drove out to Belgium unfortunately with horrific flu um, but drove out there went to his grave went to the Menin Gate um, paid my respects and came home again and I have and, and then I've been I haven't done anything since because I just haven't had time um, so it's a frozen project but that was the main body of it and I did it every day for six months um, and it nearly killed me <laughs> but it was absolutely brilliant I loved it I um, I enjoyed writing it I loved researching it I loved um, doing the little designs of the maps um, yeah. the, I used um, WordPress because it was just ready to go um, I used a template that I didn't do any changes to so it's not a design project but in sense of a visual design project but it was definitely a design project in terms of how I was going to lay out the articles and how I was going to write, you know, stylistically and connect things. Um, And I always had in mind to have it as a permanent educational tool for kids or for whoever is interested um, eventually. And then perhaps maybe, you know, to publish it, self-publish it as a little booklet in the future. Um, but it was mainly just to have it on uh, as an online resource with all the photographs, and I, I haven't done that yet. Um, and the other thing is, I, I made a film, a little film, when I was out there. Uh, I walked around the last battlefield that he was on, and uh, did a little, um, like a little, you know, just sort of narrative of, of you know what he was up to. Um, so that was going to be another little film. Well, I didn't know um, you'd done that. Yeah, and then another one was, um, uh, the other thing was I want to walk from the, the edge of Paris where the British and the French retreated to um, in September 1914, the, mm. sort of the extent of their retreat, which was literally, you know, only just outside the, the suburbs of Paris. Um, and then their advance north, I'd really like to do that walk, uh, get a train to Paris, and then a little train out, 
and then do a few days walk up into the Ain. Uh, I think that would be a the Ain. Is it? I I never know how it's pronounced. A I S N E. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I think that would be a lovely stroll in the countryside. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the story, really. So, um, but the things that I I was interested in it, and the things that are relevant to this podcast. Um, because there's, you know, an awful lot of it is just sort of military history, um, was um, what we've been talking about, really. Um, I'm interested in, as a, in an artistic sense, I'm interested in memories and how they alter the past. Um, so last week, I was talking about nostalgia. We were talking about the fact that um, nostalgia is often dist- uh, distorted memories. Mm. Um, and... Uh, it's from the concept of from the other side of my family, my father's side, a very shady lot. Um, th- when you ask a family member about a relative and they tell you a story, that's kind of cant, isn't it? It's kind of you know it becomes sealed in the family unit. Yeah. But often these stories are they're not true. Um, they're either lies, you know, <laughs> blatant lies, or they're secretive, like little white lies, or they're ignorance. Things are made up. Um, or they're caused by family feuds and schisms that happen all the time up and down the country or all over the world. Um, and this little bit of research was a real example into using historical research properly um, and not superimposing my own thoughts and values on it. Because on my other side of my family, I know lots of those stories, but on this side, I knew nothing because it didn't know him. So it meant that I could go into it with a really open mind, if you know what I mean, because nobody yeah. told me a story about him, so I didn't. Why? Why was? Did you find it all kind of why he'd never been spoken about? Was it just sadness? At, at yes, what I, I think from what again, from what I can gather from my mum, um, that uh, her, her grand her grandmother was, um, pretty much had a nervous breakdown or, or some kind of episode after he died. Uh, she was They were very, very close. So, And I think she just locked it down in a kind mm. of Edwardian way. Um, you know, it was completely shut off to everybody else to discuss it. Um, so therefore, he just faded away because, you know, her grandchildren knew nothing about him, didn't know he existed. Whereas I think if, they, if they'd have known, they would have asked, you know, what, where was he, where, what happened to him, etc. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's what that was the that's the most interesting thing for me is that he's a family member that I have no there's no skew on him there's no um, you know there's been no spin on his yeah. story so you're I not seeing able, him through a family filter no um, so I was able to you know strip him right back and look at him as a as just a lad you know he was just a, a London um, South London lad. Uh, that was making his way in the world, you know, girlfriends and uh, getting drunk. And um, he joined the army because he probably had a horrible, pretty horrible prospects in London or limited prospects anyway. Um, And uh, yeah, ended up on a battlefield. But I think, you know, even if he hadn't joined up, he would have ended up there anyway. So yeah, but that's not, you know, it's that war and the grimness that people go on about the First World War is not my thing. It's it's a time as well that was on the edge, and it's the biggest social change, um, I think, um, across the board for the British that we've ever had. Um, that period between 1914 and 1919, we were a changed society for, forever. Yeah. Um, some of it for good, you know, with, uh, votes for women. 
eventually. And uh, some of it pretty bad um, in terms of loss of life and all that kind of horrible horrible yeah. things that went on but um yeah so my my interest in is uh is is that and then and then doing the research and having to be vigorous in a day was very very hard but um but really exhilarating you know that i couldn't i couldn't make any leaps of faith but i could write and say i think you know i think this happened but it's probably not true yeah um and what was exciting was i actually came across quite a few historical things that hadn't been uh they'd been glossed over and they hadn't been uh, realised. One of the first big stories I came to was um, a chap called Thomas Highgate. He was the first British soldier executed for desertion. uh, And um, he basically tossed all his uh, clothes away, dressed as himself as a civilian and hid in a barn um, trying to get away. And he was discovered by a gamekeeper um, and the gamekeeper happened to be an English visiting gamekeeper in, on this uh, on this French <laughs> estate, um, and he was an ex-soldier, so he was immediately it. apprehended. Um, yeah. He had no representation, called no witnesses, um, and he was um, yeah, and he was executed. But the thing was that he was tried uh, twenty-five miles away from where he was shot, um, and. Uh, in all of the reports that I've read, he was tried and taken out and executed immediately. Um, and that's obviously not possible to do uh, 25 yeah. miles away. And I haven't actually followed this up with research. So I'd really like to um, to get into the nitty gritty because um, he's quite an important point in history. You know, he was the, fir- you know, the first one to be to be shot. And he was one of the um, one of the men pardoned in 2006. Yeah. Uh, there were 300 and seven I think something like that um but uh um Frank's brigade uh, were there were were the witnesses to him being shot so he was literally taken out in front of three um, battalions and shot um and the Dorsets and uh the other people in his um in his division had to um had to provide the firing party so it could have been that you know Frank being a sharpshooter was um assigned to the firing party yeah. but uh, yeah I thought that was a really poignant story um, and um, yeah and quite sad it's strange isn't it that's such a tiny part of the history of the war but that in itself is just such a massive story it is a massive yeah e- each of these have have had books written about them yeah. it's only you know I only picked up stories that were on the path and if you go on the site you can see I actually plotted the march every day Mm. it's amazing how much you managed to do every day I didn't realise you'd, you'd done it quite as uh, rigorously like that uh, limiting yourself to researching day by day yeah well some some, some um, are really short because I was absolutely knackered or out or whatever but other ones no I just had to pick a you know I drew the path and then I picked a, a subject yeah. um, it was really difficult when there was a letter involved because he wrote letters um, back to his sister and that, that's what it's all based on. Mm. Um, but I'd say probably 90% of all of the posts were, didn't have a letter. But when it had the letter, I would then study the um, etymology and, you know, things he was discussing culturally. Well, that, that's like. one of the things that really interested me about it is you kind of delve into the, the language he uses and, you know, these kind of sort of colloquialisms that have that have disappeared and you know there were even there were certain things that you you kind of had no idea what he was talking about they were so sort of distant weren't you 
Yeah, they were phrases, and he was using phrases also. He used phrases... Um, I was reading one last night. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, he was using phrases that didn't enter the vernacular for another 20 years. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think what that one was. Um, oh, I'll, fi- I'll find out, and I'll put it in there. We'll put it in the notes if we have <laughs> show. But, yeah, he had things like... Um, uh, yeah, just... Uh, the, well, there was one for the booze. The booze one was probably my favourite one I wrote because, um, you know, I love a bit of booze. Um, but this one was... Uh, he His name is... His nickname is Biddy. Um, and Red Biddy was a drink that um, was an absolute scourge of the British working classes at that time. And I didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it was a... Um, but it was actually referred to in Lucky Jim by Kingsley Amos, the okay. great... The great boozing um, Lucky Jim um, and he mentions Red Biddy and what Red Biddy was was uh, wine like wine from a uh, a pub and then they would um, add some a- alcohol to it but the alcohol was methylated spirits <laughs> <laughs> wow and you could buy this stuff in a pub and it was literally making people go insane a bit like yeah. absinthe um, so in 1936, it got. I think it was 1936. Yeah, they they. That's when they started adding that blue stuff or the the purpley stuff to. Oh, to meths. Yeah, yeah, because because before meths was just a clear liquid that you could yeah. you know you could drink it if you could get tonic water that was strong enough. Yeah, <laughs> I think fever fever tree. Fever tree. What, <laughs> what we'd have with met with the, with our meths. Um, yeah, which is uh, you know, and then that sort of led me on the path to you know the problem that they have today in London hospitals is that. Um, Tramps and street street drinkers, as they were they were referred to in the report, um, stealing alcoholic sanitizers from hospitals um, because they're worth a tenner, um, yeah. and uh, you know you can get very high on them <laughs> or very drunk. Your um, research didn't didn't uh, go that far, did it? I didn't try any. No, yeah. um, we did drink ethanol at school when we made it. You know. It, yeah, in the chemistry lessons. Yeah, um, but yeah, that, I mean, is that in portions class. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think the word comes from Lisbon wine, which was like a port wine, but the really cheap, nasty mm. stuff that they then just uh, again added uh, some kind of uh, alcohol to, um, and so you'd call it red Lizzy or red Biddy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was fascinating. Um, the you know, obviously, alcohol before the First World War was a lot stronger. Um, and we're now getting back to the, the the levels of alcohol in beer that um, but that were pre pre First World War. So I think I did yeah. one on that as well. I can't remember. Um, yeah, so things like that were just really interesting. Um, and I did sweets as well because again, the working classes uh, from eighteen uh, I'd say eighteen seventy eighteen eighty, um, you know, factory produced sweets um, hit. Um, Britain in 1910, yeah. I think it was Woolworths um, started up um, and yeah. bought Pick and Mix, and that was just an enormous success, like you know, unbelievable success because you could take sweets, you could take them anywhere; they wouldn't go off. Um, they gave you a kick of energy, mm. um, and people loved them. Uh, so yeah, it was um, it was just fascinating doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I've, I've got to ask just because I've just been clicking through the occasional page. Uh, while we've been talking, uh, and um, without reading it, can you tell me what the uh, the entry entitled "Dial M for Muff" is about? <laughs> well, Muff was his aunt, was his aunt, uh, and she was called Muff Muffet. 
Um, okay. But I haven't, uh, yeah, and it was a poor part. Every single title as well, I did like a subtitle. They're really good. <laughs> but um, no, Muff was, um, and I, I was trying to get what, you know, what did Muff mean? Or what I couldn't even get her name. Uh, a lot of them, you know, I didn't have full names. So I think I've identified her, but she turned out to be, and this is the whole family thing that we're talking about, is she was like, it was she was an aunt but actually it's turned out that she was a sister of their mother of frank's mother um, mm. but there was pretending to be the daughter of the grandparents because she oh, was okay. born out of wedlock yeah um, and that happened a lot in fact that happened to a friend of mine as a kid uh i think one of his who he thought his was his sister was at or his yeah was his was his was actually who he thought was his aunt was actually his sister and yeah. anyway it happened a lot in families um, so yeah that's that's where muff come from <laughs> well not not the word <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have you got any plans to go back to this and do anything else with it I mean I keep telling you you should publish it as a book uh, well reading it again last night uh, for the first time in when did I do this uh, two years ago. Um, I did really enjoy it and uh, saw loads of typos. So I think the first thing would be to go back and sort out all the typos. Um, but you'll excuse, if you do start reading it, you'll excuse me that I was writing these at midnight with a brand new baby. Um, uh, that would be the first thing. The second thing is to get it into uh, a linear form, so it's yeah. not like a blog, so that you read from the first post forwards. Uh, the blog isn't ideal for reading it back. Um, and to make it more friendly. So I would redesign it and export all the information. Uh, the third thing is to um, is to do the little film that I wanted to do um, and then possibly publish something. But I, don't, I think it lives better online. I think it's better as an online research it is, tool. It is amazing online because of the, the maps and everything. Yeah, and the links and stuff. So yeah. I need to make sure that some of the links, some of the maps have died So uh, and some of the links have, as they do on websites, unfortunately. But that would be it. And some of the nicest things that I've ever had is just people reaching out who are relatives of the people that I've been writing about. Because I've said it before, it's very hard to write about the uh, the privates, the working class um, chaps that are in, in you know in the ranks. Yeah. Um, I'm more interested in them than I am the officers. Um, but they weren't written about and there was no written real records about them. I found a few stories, but mainly it's about the officers because they were recorded, you know, in the gazettes and uh, all sorts of, you know, newspapers, etc., etc. Mm. Um, but I had one, um, yeah, I've had a few relatives, you know, gra- grandsons, um, uh, nieces, etc., of actual characters, and they've left messages, which is just amazing. And they've left it in only that slightly clipped upper class way that they can do by like, I read with interest your blog post. <laughs> <laughs> not like I'd have written it. I can't believe it. This is amazing. Uh, yeah. So, um, but it's been, um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. It was brilliant fun. It's absolutely wonderful to read. Uh, you should be so proud of it. It's a, uh, it's an incredible thing. Thanks. I'm going to, I'm going to end on, on a story that involves my mum actually, because, uh, and it's brilliant because it's just post Wimbledon. Uh, congratulations on Andy Murray winning another title. Uh, oh. but in 1914, the, uh, the Wimbledon Championship men's final was won by Norman Brooks from Australia. And he built, he beat uh, Otto Freutzheim, 
who was the German tennis tennis champion. I mean, yeah, and he sounds like a bad does. German, doesn't he? He was, but he won six two six one five seven four six eight six. So that was a thrilling final. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, Freudsheim jumped on a uh, a boat, uh, and he was going to play a tournament in Pittsburgh in America. Um, but as he was leaving, uh, war broke out. And he was, so he returned to Germany, but his steamer was intercepted off um, Gibraltar by the Royal Navy, and he was put uh, he was taken prisoner on the rock, and then interned in a German prisoner of war camp. And the Telegraph said that it was in Bray Maidenhead. Now my mum is a little village outside um, Windsor, um, where the Fat Duck is actually Heston yep. Blumenthal's place. Uh, and um, my mum, at the end of her road um, of this place called Hollyport Street was a an abandoned POW camp from the First World War. Literally, well, she lived down the end of a country lane, so literally jump over style and there was an orchard and then yeah. the ruined buildings were there. So it was like 100 feet from her house and that's where he was kept. Uh, and the name of the, um, the local pub uh, was called the Belgian Arms. But back in 1914, it was called the Eagle and they changed it to the Belgian Arms because every time they marched the POWs past... <laughs> The eagle, they all saluted. <laughs> uh, and I've said that's possibly apocryphal, but... Um, that's fantastic, though. Yeah, it's just a fantastic that's post. true. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, if you've got... A, so I didn't cut... You know, if anybody's got any history things, you know, he was just a, you know, a working-class lad, and you can just find out so much interesting information and uh, and just inspira- inspirational things from the past. So... Um, I, I urge you to yeah go on to try. I think they ancestry do a trial, yeah. Um, so you can go on there and you can start, you know, ferreting through paperwork. And if you like that kind of thing, and um, yeah, I, re- I really really recommend it. It was it, it was brilliant, brilliant fun. So thank you for uh, indulging me talking about no, that it's marvelous. So go have a look at that, frankcrawshaw.uk. Yeah. So uh, what's wonderful. your thank you? What's your website of the week? My website of the week doesn't exist yet. Uh, it's uh, we've mentioned him once already tonight. He's going to be getting uh, his ears will be burning. Daniel Gray, uh, book cover designer, uh, Twitter raconteur, uh, has got a little um, project he's about to embark on, which is the VNA published a list of a hundred books selected from the David Bowie <laughs> archive. Sorry, uh, was that a sneeze? Yeah, sorry. Bless you. Um, and Daniel Gray, uh, a Bowie fan and a book fan, is going to design a cover for every single book on this uh, this list of Bowie's favourite books. Uh, and he hasn't started yet. He set himself some rules. It's well worth having a look on danielgray.com right. on, his, on his blog. <clears throat> but I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he comes up with, because his book covers are great. Um, but there's, there's kind of a, a, a bigger range of books on there than he usually gets his hands on. Um, so I'm really excited to see what he uh, conjures up. Yeah, but he hasn't started yet. Uh, so there you go. Website of the week. It's a website with nothing on it. <laughs> what is your website of the week? Well, it was sent to me by a client. He said I'd really like it, and um, I have to say I really do because it's it's about um, it's more art direction than anything. But because um, it's not stylistically my kind of thing, but it's called For Better Coffee, um, and it's can, just, I, can I put in briefly. Yeah. Um, only because I've had a look at this and I haven't got a clue what it is. <laughs> so now you can carry on. Well, I don't either. I think it's... A, 
No, it's just it was just the mechanism of of a single page. I, I I've been you know I don't really like single page websites where you scroll down and mm. there lots of things happen. But this one is just a really cool little um, animation. Basically, you've got a coffee bean in the middle of the screen, and as you scroll down, it uh, it goes through grinder, comes out as little. Uh, granules then hits a filter and then it comes out as coffee and then that's your coffee bit there but um i just thought it was a really nice mechanism that was all it was really and, it, and i thought it was just really nice and graphical and and just a brilliant uh brilliantly art directed piece of work um when we see so much stuff that is i don't know uh do you know i didn't see that before because the link you've put on is is a uh... ah, the wrong link is the wrong link. So now I'm looking at that, and it and it yes, it makes more sense now. It's lovely. Yeah, it's just really <laughs> clever and simple and perf- perfectly uh, yeah. ex- executed. Bit Beautifully of done. Yeah, Beautifully um, but it was just um, yeah, I just thought it was a lovely bit of art direction um, without showing off technology for technology's sake. It just uses really nice, simple animation. Really yeah. flat illustrations, and I like the pattern at the top, and that is all. And it's about coffee, which you know, what can what's what's you know, what's not to like about coffee? Absolutely, yeah, that's good. I like that. Uh, good work. Yeah, and pa- 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 pies, pies. Yes, I have got a very uh, sad-looking pie, um, which I, I was worried wasn't going to be um, defrosted in time to cook. It's from uh, it's from the Queen's Farm Shop in Windsor. Oh, um, yeah, um, and it's a beef and Stilton pie. It's very crispy pastry, as you can probably hear. Um, That's a good butcher's there. Yeah, oh, the bacon was out of this world. Is um, that greenback bacon you got? No, it was uh, a very heavily smoked streaky. Right. right, just excuse me while I dive into this pie. Oh, that's exceptional. That's really so good. Pastry's gorgeous. Short crust pastry. Um, really big chunks of steak. And then just that kind of sort of sharpness you get from Stilton. Oh, that's good. Oh. Really nice. What's that going to get, Rob? That's getting a nine. Whoa! Yeah. And God, I'm, save, uh, God save the Queen. God save the Queen, yes. Well done, Liz. <laughs> uh, and I'm washing it down with a... Uh, pint of doom bar what about you what have you got have you rustled up another pie yourself no i've got um a melton mowbray hand crimped pork pie oh. from aldi oh yeah went out went aldi shopping this week yeah um i have to say i've got it out it looks it's got amazing jelly <gasps> yeah it's got about eight mil of jelly around it about eight mil oh my life it's a blooming good pie. Yeah. Aldi's food is so good. Like, their meat is great. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this is an excellent pork pie. A good snacking pork... It's, it's a big pork pie. Um, yeah. Probably six inches. Um, peppery. Just everything you want, a good pork pie. It's got a really good bake on the bottom, so it's, like, really, you know, dark on the bottom. Yeah. All the pastries cooked through. Get down to Aldi, I'd say. Yeah. I think I've recognised this as... I think it's repackaged in many supermarkets as the same thing, and I think it's called. Wa- I think Walkers are the maker in, oh, Mel- yes. in Melton Mowbray, yeah, because um, it looks very similar to the one that's for sale in Waitrose and Tesco. Yeah, um, but hats off to Aldi; they've done a good pie there. 
um, way better than the Sainsbury's lot we've been well, good on washing. Them. So yeah, I'm going to give that a seven, a positive mm-hmm. seven. Good, strong. Uh, nine pie. That's our, that's our strongest pie yet, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I mean, that's just uh, fab. Talking of pies, I found um, I was looking at that pie thing, and there's a site. I don't know if you've seen this called. Pi- I did have a look. Pirate. Yeah. <laughs> well, good name. Pirate. Yeah. They've done over 500 pie reviews, Rob. Wow. Yeah, it well, puts us to shame, doesn't it? Absolutely. I feel amateurish now. Yeah. If they want any design help. <laughs> what are you saying, John? <laughs> I'm not a fan of the typeface, uh, but I am a fan of their reviews. Yes. And, uh, so get over there and look at the pie rankings, and you'll see that Walker's Pork Pie is in the top ten. Oh. With a pie minster, yeah, number 11 as well. But they put a Mr. Kipling a- apple pie at number 11. What? That, that, that got a very poor mark from you, didn't it? Yeah, it was a hit horrific. Mind you, their scores are quite even, aren't they? Like They're the very top, tight, aren't they? The top 40 all range between 6.18 and 6.73. You told me I wasn't allowed half a mark. Yeah, I know, I've, got, I've, got, I've got issues with this with the whole thing. <laughs> You have. Yeah. But yeah, that's good. That's uh, Well, we'll be able to get some ideas for where to source some pies from. <laughs> Definitely. Right. Well, I think we should wrap it up because we've been going for over an hour and 12 minutes. I've been, good God. I Yeah, I apologise for overrunning. Um, no, no, it was good. It's good to talk to you again. It's, uh, it's always nice to talk after a little break. Yeah, it's been good. So next week, uh, well, we haven't decided what we're going to do. Um, we haven't even decided on a new... Oh, you sent me a book. I did send you a book. Yeah, how very kind. So um, we'll be doing the book of our month, which is called um, In Praise of Shadows, and it's by Tanizaki. Yeah? Yeah. Junichiro. Junichiro? Junichiro Tanizaki. Yeah, Yeah. I'll tell you the story next week of uh, how I came to read that book. Okay. Uh, So, yeah. John, it's been a delight. And Rob, yes, likewise. (laughs) (laughs) Don't feel you have to reciprocate there, John. Uh, uh, right, uh, I'm going to go and enjoy the rest of this pie. Yes, you do, and um, I will uh, speak to you soon. Will do. Take Very care. good to talk to you. Cheerio. Bye bye. Sequence stars were no good for making time in this life. We're giant stars. We're here because we're here. Because we're here. Because we're here. We're here because we're here. Because we're here, because we're here, we see far better off, far better off, far better off in a heart. Here we are.